for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, you can be seated. Thanks, Megan. That's all right. Okay, you want to hear a bad preacher joke? <clears throat> it's, it's really dumb. It's a really bad joke. Will you humor me and laugh anyway? Okay. When Halloween falls on a Sunday, what does the preacher talk about? The Holy Ghost. That was exactly the laugh it should have received. The Holy Ghost. All right. Well, uh, we've been making our way through the Apostles' Creed. And there are three, I believe, statements in the Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. And now I believe in the Holy Spirit. And with this third clause, it completes the Trinitarian shape of the Apostles' Creed. How through progressive revelation, God has revealed God's self as eternally coexisting in three persons that are of one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Most of the ways that you try to explain this end up being heresy (laughs) because it's either compromising the threeness of God or the oneness of God. And yet God is completely three, three persons, and yet of one being. It's it's a divine mystery, uh, the Holy Trinity. But it also gives us a great picture of the Trinitarian nature of the Christian life. That as we come to God, we come as part of the dance of the Trinity when we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Some of you were perhaps at the old building when I gave a demonstration of how this works. And I have uh, not told four of my friends that I'm about to invite invite them up, but I'm about to invite them up. So Philip, Carter, Jeff, Travis, will you join me real quick? I did not warn them, so please uh, show appreciation and clap for my friends here. So the Holy Spirit can be a mystery, how it interacts with the believer, and I'm going to try to to help make it a bit simpler. Um, uh, Travis, you're going to be God the Father. Would you come here, please? No pressure, no pressure. Okay, stand right here. Okay. And uh, Jeff, you're going to be the believer, the individual believer. Okay. Um, Carter, you're going to be Jesus. Come stand beside him right here. No pressure. Don't screw it up. No, right beside him. Beside him. And Philip, you're going to be behind him. Okay? So uh, we always come to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. To the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, Apart from the work of Jesus, uh, the individual believer cannot approach the Father. Uh, there's, there's, There's the gap here. 
through the mediating work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood has atoned for our sins. It's created this safe space. He's our, he's our eternal sacrifice, our eternal priest. So because Jesus, our, our, our brother, according to Hebrews chapter 2, is vouched for us, we can come into the presence of the Father. <laughs> They're brothers-in-law. You don't have to hug. <laughs> But uh, the Father is ready to receive the believer uh, because the believer is escorted by the Son. But it's even better than just that. The, 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 our, our ability to respond to the Lord Jesus is impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So Philip, put your hands on, well, on the Holy Spirit. Put your <laughs> hands on uh, Jeff's back here. Giving him a prod from behind and from within, as we're going to talk about today. The Holy Spirit enables the believer to respond to the mediating work of Christ so he can come to God the Father in relationship. Now look at how much, now put your arms up again, okay? Get a little bit, just at least touch him, okay? Look at what a, a great position of security the believer is in. He comes to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Look at all these hands. The Father is ready to receive him. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? While he was still a long way off, the Father saw his son. His heart was full of compassion and ran toward his son. The Father is so ready to receive the believer. And look at Jesus, his right arm around the believer. Right now at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is praying for you. What a position of security. And then behind him, and, and giving motivation, giving from, from without and from within, the Holy Spirit is prodding us along to say yes to Jesus. It says in Romans chapter 8, as we're going to come to in a minute, that the Spirit intercedes for us. So we've got Jesus pulling for us. We've got the Spirit who knows the mind of God and knows our own minds pulling for us when we don't know how to pray as we ought to. This is a position of tremendous security for the believer. And when we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're brought into this divine dance. I'm going to make you guys do this the whole service. <laughs> uh, it's a position of just tremendous, uh, tremendous security. Now, I'm, I am going to let you guys stop because I can feel your body heat turning up. Would you thank my friends? You guys can be seated. <laughs> but we always come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And we're held in a place of such tremendous security as believers. Uh, a great prayer to just keep in your back pocket is, Lord Jesus, hold me in the strength of your prayers. Holy Spirit, hold me in the strength of your prayers. When we don't know how to pray for ourselves uh, like we should, uh, the Spirit pulls for us. Now, uh, think again about my friends standing here. We would find it utterly scandalous were we to remove God the Father from the situation. Jesus as mediator doesn't make a ton of sense if there's no father. He also doesn't make sense as a son if there's no father. We would think it utterly scandalous if we removed God the Father from the situation. We would find it heretical and utterly scandalous if we removed God the Son, Jesus Christ, from the situation. And yet, many believers and many churches find there to be no scandal whatsoever to remove God the Spirit from the equation. Many of us behave as if the Holy Spirit is an optional extra or just a denominational distinctive. And this is, this is blasphemy. This is heresy. This is a tragedy. True Trinitarian Christianity is necessarily and by definition spirit-filled Christianity. We always and only come to the Father by the Son, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, for many people, the third person of the Trinity is not the Holy Spirit, but Holy Scripture, Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. I practice that too. <laughs> now, if you've, if you've worshipped in our church for any length of time, you know the Scriptures matter to us of supreme importance when it comes to thinking rightly about God of, of prime importance is the Holy Scriptures. So I hope you understand that we, we prize Scripture believe the Spirit generated and breathed and inspired the Scriptures as one of the normal means of hearing God's voice. But the Spirit is above and behind the Scriptures. The Spirit makes the Scripture come alive in our hearts, and we err if we think we can discern the things of God through intellect alone and without the Holy Spirit. We come to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. At the same time, I do recognize that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places, for a handful of reasons that you and I could perhaps list, the Holy Spirit can be a complicated and difficult topic for many people. Would you agree? The Holy Spirit can be an uncomfortable topic. If anyone has uncomfortable experiences pertaining to the Holy Spirit, I have more. <laughs> or at least I have just as many. Why is the Spirit a difficult topic? Well, one people have had bizarre experiences related to the topic of the Holy Spirit. I would not necessarily say related to, like, it's not because of the Holy Spirit, but in conversations related to the Holy Spirit. Here's one. I was once at a camp, and as the, you're getting ready for the altar call time of camp, I was a teenager, uh, the speaker was talking about how our relationship with the Holy Spirit is a bit like Beauty and the Beast. You know, the Holy Spirit being the beauty, and here we are, the beast. And as he's talking, music gently fades up. And coming out of side doors were people dressed up as Belle from the Beauty and the Beast and someone wearing a full beast costume. And they started to waltz in front of us as the music played. Transition two. All of the students in the youth ministry, some of y'all are like, what? The, but some of you also really get this. Some of the, all of the students were meant to go to one side of the room and one at a time, I'm so uncomfortable telling this story, <laughs> one at a time, the sponsors were to go to a student and say, do you want to dance with Jesus? <laughs> and it was teeing up a time of like altar call with the Holy Spirit, a little strange. Why is it uncomfortable to have conversations about the Holy Spirit? Sometimes there are weird people who ignore the other two members of the Trinity and all are about all, they're all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I have seen some really funny things at the Walmart at 81st and Lewis. <laughs> the concentration, and I'm an ORU alum, I can say this, the concentration of ORU students and Victory Bible students, there's a lot of people eagerly trying and sincerely trying to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. But there are some interesting things that people have said. Probably uh, women in the room who went to a Christian university can attest to the number of men who say, the Holy Spirit told me that you're supposed to be my wife. And I wish that that were an uncommon story, but that's the kind of thing that happens a lot. Uh, another reason the Holy Spirit can be a difficult topic is coercive situations. Coercive situations where you're, you're being, I, I hate to use the word manipulated because it's well-intentioned, but you're being kind of like twisted into feeling or responding to something, to, to the Holy Spirit. 
I'll never forget being in a, a situation where a, an evangelist was speaking. Excuse me. And uh, the, the evangelist was going around and praying for people. And it was intense, like yelling, praying. And I remember seeing a child in the room that I knew who's probably, a, you know, then wasn't older than like nine or ten years old. And I remember how scared he looked to be prayed over by this person. And oh my goodness, now thinking about my own children, I think that's not a safe situation. If they're not ready, they've not been explained to, this is an emotionally manipulative or coercive situation. I'm not a fan. Uh, it's because of experiences like this that many people are uh, closed off. And I think uh, another reason that, that people can be closed off to the Holy Spirit or that can be a difficult topic is just people are irresponsible in talking about or representing the Holy Spirit. I was in a chapel at Oral Roberts University uh, in 2005-2006 when a chapel speaker got up and prophesied that the ORU men's basketball team was going to win the NCAA tournament. Now, they did make it, but we already knew they were going to make it. And when they lost in the first round, not a word was spoken. And I thought, if you read the Bible, isn't that grounds for calling this person a false prophet? You know, or, and I don't mean to, to ruffle any feathers, but all those, those prophets on television who said that Donald Trump was going to win the presidency, he didn't. And many of them, to their credit, publicly repented of it, and I appreciate it. I appreciate that. If you're going to represent the Holy Spirit of God and you screw up, own it. Okay, I'll embarrass myself now. A couple of weeks ago, there was a couple, I don't know if they're in the room, who during the service, I, I saw them and I thought, they've had a big disappointment this week. I think I need to go talk to them about it. And I went to them and I said, hey, I could be totally wrong about this, but have you guys had a big disappointment this week? And they look at me like, no, I got a promotion. <laughs> like, okay. I misfired. That one's on me. Don't take it as a bad omen. <laughs> now, now, apart from these abuses or, or unhealthy aspects of conversations about the Holy Spirit, I think there are some normal obstacles to the Holy Spirit's work in each of our lives. One of those can be busyness. We're going at such a pace that we're just not paying attention. We're just scurrying through life. Another can be over-reliance on intellect or strategy. We're good enough thinkers and good enough planners. We don't really need divine power. Now, we might not say that, but I behave like that a lot. Uh, not to my credit. I think another normal obstacle to the Holy Spirit is fear. What happens if I open myself up to the Holy Spirit? Another is sin. We may have unconfessed sin in our lives that's just like messing up the equation, and we need to be serious about that. Another normal obstacle can be inexperience with the Holy Spirit. You've just never been in circles where people talked about it or were open to it. And then finally, you may find the topic of the Holy Spirit difficult because you just want to be in control, or I just want to be in control, and so why would I open myself up to the Holy Spirit? What I hope to do in the next couple of minutes is look at a lot of Scripture, we're going to talk about, in the passage that Megan read in John 16, uh, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at some of the other passages in the New Testament. And then I just want to tee up uh, an encouragement for how we should and can respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. Okay? John 16. Megan just read it for us, but I want you to see it and really take it in. 
Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He, the spirit of truth, will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Okay, if we just take this passage in John chapter 16, what are, how are we to understand the work of the Holy Spirit? Uh, one thing, uh, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Elsewhere in John, it says the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that Jesus says. So if in a difficult situation, the Holy Spirit calls to mind the Sermon on the Mount, that is a very normal thing that the Holy Spirit does. Reminds you of the words of Jesus, guides you into all truth. Uh, a second thing that the passage tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit speaks what he hears from Jesus. A third thing, quite interestingly, is that the Spirit tells what is to come. And I don't know, it's open-ended, if this is in a very meta sense about, you know, the, the, the end of things, the age to come, or whether, whether it's about, hey, gear up, you're going to be in a different season, a challenging season, and you need to be on your guard. It says, tell what is to come. And then fourth, a great test of whether it's really the Holy Spirit moving and speaking is, is it glorifying Jesus? That's what it says in John chapter 16. Jesus said that having the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is so worth it in the life of the believer, in the life of the church, that it's worth Jesus uh, moving away geographically. We think, and I often think, man, it would be so much better for us, Jesus, if you were just physically present. And he said, it's for your good that I am going away, that the Holy Spirit might come. Well, what does uh, the rest of the New Testament have to say? Well, we could look at the book of Acts. Uh, some of you may be reading through the book of Acts with your apprentice group right now, did Luke and doing Acts. And the Holy Spirit does some interesting things in the book of Acts. If you just read it cover to cover, 28 chapters, you see the Spirit doing some fascinating things. The Spirit is present in affirming decisions. So Judas is gone and the, the apostles feel like we need to add a, an, another one back to the mix. And they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to elect these men and roll the dice and the Holy Spirit was going to make it clear who should join the twelve. The Spirit is affirming decisions. In Acts chapter 2, we see how the Spirit is present in empowering witness for the kingdom of God. Peter is transformed from denying Jesus to suddenly giving witness on the day of Pentecost before all these great many people. And he accounts for everything that happened with Jesus and how with the descent of the Spirit, it was fulfilling prophecy. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Among rich and old, uh, young and poor, uh, everyone is going to have an opportunity to receive the Spirit. The, the Spirit is present in empowering and validating preaching. A sign that, that, that the message of the resurrection was true was that it was accompanied with works of power. Uh, there was a time in Acts chapter 4 where after praying, uh, the Spirit shook the room where they were all standing. The Spirit shakes things up literally and metaphorically. A crazy story has to do with Philip, who is, who is by the Holy Spirit transported from one place to another. I don't know if that has ever happened again, but it happened in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul, by the Spirit, learns, don't go into Asia Minor, do go into this place. 
And the Spirit consecrates people for mission. Set aside Paul and Barnabas. He said, the Spirit said to the church in Antioch, for the work that I'm going to have them do. These are all normal operations of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans 8, this is first verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then going to verses 26 and 27. In the same way, remember, remember the image here. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. According to Romans chapter 8, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children. Uh, there's, there's in, and I, you, you, just, you can't explain it. But somehow I know I've been adopted into God's family and I can rightly call God Father or Abba. What does the Holy Spirit do according to Romans chapter 8? Intercedes on our behalf in alignment with God's will. Because the Spirit, knowing our own mind and heart, also knows the mind and the heart of God and can pray in accordance with God's will. So even if you're a not very good prayer, the Spirit is praying on your behalf. What's something else the Holy Spirit does? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now to each one. To who? To each one. Everyone in the church. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. Uh, to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church for the common good. Examples are wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, powers, prophecy. Paul said elsewhere in that letter, uh, above many of the gifts, we should desire prophecy. Love is more important, but we should desire prophecy. He said discernment, speaking in tongues, and interpreting tongues. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to build up the church. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Romans chapter 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. This is kind of another list of gifts given by God to the church. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. I like serving. It can feel like it's one of the less spiritual or esoteric ones, but people who serve behind the scenes, it's like that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If God has given you the gift of encouragement, use it. We need it. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Uh, according to Romans chapter 12, what does the Holy Spirit do? It gives gifts like faith, service, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and mercy. In the last Galatians chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit. And flesh is not talking about bodies. Bodies are not bad. It's talking, when it says flesh, it means sinful nature, okay? Bodies are good. For what the sinful nature, what the fleshly nature desires is what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what's contrary to the flesh. 
They're in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. According to Galatians chapter 5, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit helps us to say no to wrong desires. The spirit and the sinful nature are at war, but the spirit enables us to say no to destructive and wrong desires. The next verse will be familiar. But the fruit of the spirit, the evidence that God is making his home in you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, a lot of gentleness, I said that twice, and self-control, be gentle. Against such things there is no law. According to the next chapter, verses in Galatians chapter 5, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit helps to produce character and Christ-likeness in believers. And I take issue with people who like the charismatic gifts, but are not so keen on the fruits of the Spirit, and it does matter how we behave and how we interact with other people. Okay, so from a bird's eye view, the things that we've talked about, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit teaches, the Holy Spirit reminds, the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit calls, the Holy Spirit shapes, the Spirit empowers, the Spirit gives, the Spirit assures, the Spirit intercedes for us. If the Spirit does all of these things, why on earth would anyone be against the Holy Spirit? If, you, if your ambition is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and this is the work that the Spirit does. Doesn't it make sense to just fling open the doors of our heart to the work of the Holy Spirit? Now, there are some people out there who say that the Holy Spirit doesn't do any of these kinds of things anymore. They might use the term cessationist to describe them. With humility, they're wrong. There are other people who say that the Holy Spirit has, has to do certain things in the life of a believer. Like, if you really have the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. And humbly and respectfully, they're confused. I think they're wrong. The Holy Spirit gives gifts of many kinds that are given to each for the common good, but not all are gifted equally. Gives as the Spirit deems appropriate. In general, I will say, I get nervous anytime people say what God has to do or can't do. When people say things like that, step aside, the lightning is about to strike. If I have learned anything, it's that the Holy Spirit cannot be tamed. The Holy Spirit cannot be turned into a formula that is easily controllable. Ben and I didn't talk about this explicitly, but uh, especially early in the life of our church, I was praying for us to see an awakening and a revival like it happened in the Hebrides, the Scottish Isles in the 1950s. Some of you have heard that story. And it hasn't happened like that. And I always think of it when we sing uh, uh, Do It Again. And I'm like, I'm still walking around the walls. I'm waiting for them to fall. I can't control the Holy Spirit by telling and retelling the story of the Hebrides. I can't control the Holy Spirit by preaching about the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said the wind blows wherever it pleases, so it is with the Spirit of God. The word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, wind or breath. In the, in the New Testament, it's pneuma. It's, it's, it's wind, it's breath, it's, it's beyond our grasp, and yet it's also close and intimate to us. The wind blows where it pleases, and we are not its master. We are not the master of the Holy Spirit. So how then should we respond? How then should we posture ourselves uh, rightly in relating to the person of Holy, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit? Four very quick things, and then we're going to receive Holy Communion. Uh, first, in your life, and in the church, try to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So some friend of mine who preached recently talked about, um, you know, when you're trying to buy a car and you have an eye on the model you're looking for, all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. Pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, what are you doing here, Lord? Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 again. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Um, you know, uh, in walking through the airport, usually one spouse is a faster walker than the other. Just try to keep up. Similarly, pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Just try to keep up with the Holy Spirit. I think it takes training. You misfire. I thought the Holy Spirit said this couple, you know, had a disappointment. I was wrong. It was the opposite. But we, we train, we try, we lead. When we think the Holy Spirit is saying something, it's a great practice to say, I could be wrong about this, but here's what I think the Spirit's saying. Uh, the second thing I want to encourage you to do is to use and encourage your gifts and, and recognize that you have them. You've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul said to Timothy about your gifts. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So whatever gift the Holy Spirit has given you, use it to serve the church. There are many great things about kind of the psychologization of our world right now, and many of us are thinking about not just working to earn a paycheck, but, but to, to realize some kind of self-actualization. But spiritual gifts are not about self-actualization. Spiritual gifts are about equipping the church, or about building one another up. You can't use your spiritual gifts in isolation. So whatever gift you've been given, and you may need to have conversations with the Lord and with your friends about what that is, fan into flame that gift by practicing it with other people and for other people. Uh, ask your friends, hey, what, how do you understand how the Lord is gifting me? Uh, use and encourage your gifts. The third thing is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is from Ephesians chapter 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do you avoid grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Get rid of all bitterness. Are you bitter? It grieves the heart of God. Rage and anger. These things grieve the heart of God. Constant conflict, brawling and slander, uh, misrepresenting other people in your speech about them, along with every form of malice, every form of malice. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How are we to relate to the Holy Spirit? We need to see if there's any bitter root in us that's manifesting in anger, hatred, speaking poorly about other people. We've got to deal with those things. And then finally, uh, how do we relate to the Holy Spirit? I would say be open to the Holy Spirit. Just be open to the Holy Spirit. 
uh, this week I discovered something I'd never heard of before. There's a musical instrument called the Aeolian harp. The Aeolian harp. They can be uh, like really small and they can be massive. But the Aeolian harp is the only instrument in the world, perhaps aside from the wind chime, a lesser instrument, that's played by the wind. And it plays at harmonic frequencies. And so it's well-constructed, it has to be tuned, but then you just position it so that when the wind blows through the Aeolian harp, a beautiful and kind of eerie noise is going to be made. And I think that gives us a great picture for how we should posture ourselves with regard to the Holy Spirit. One, we should, we should make every effort to be in tune. How do, you, how do you make sure you're in tune? Confess your sin. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of anger. The, the harp, if it's just in a closet, is never going to be exposed to the wind and therefore never make the music that it's created to. So it has to be put outside where it can be reached by the wind. We need to be well positioned. How are we well positioned to interact with the Holy Spirit? Well, we're paying attention. We're desiring, as Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians 2, we're desiring the gifts. And we're, we're regularly seeking God through the, the, the normal means of grace. Things like reading the Bible, praying, receiving the sacraments, and being part of Christian community. If you're in tune and you're positioned, then the, then the invitation is just to wait expectantly for whenever that wind comes to blow. And having confessed our sins, having put ourselves in a position where we're looking and we're hoping and we're expecting, then we just do the thing that you do when you want something from someone and you request it. And so we just pray, come Holy Spirit. There are stories, I, I can't explain why the Holy Spirit works, when the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works perfectly. There are times in the, the Jesus people movement of the 60s and the 70s where uh, a preacher would get up and just pray, come Holy Spirit, and whammo, <laughs> something would happen. I will hope that it happens like that again. But today on a Sunday morning, on Halloween morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we're just going to pray simply and encourage one another to pray regularly, come Holy Spirit. We're open. And so I commend to you today the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no Christian life apart from it. And if you've denied the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are missing out spectacularly. But even in your rejection of Him, the Spirit is praying for you. Position yourself, get in tune, and wait with expectation. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. As we get ready to receive communion, if you're going to help serve, would you please come? Father, thank you that you welcome us with open arms. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our brother, who advocates for us to you. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for in our, in our closed-off nature toward you and our ignorance of you, you still pray for us and you still enable us to have curiosity about God and the grace to say yes to the things of God. And Lord, in a way that is uncoerced, non-manipulated, I just pray that you would come and be with your people and make us aware of your presence today. May it be especially so as we receive Holy Communion. 
Holy Spirit, would you so baptize this little juice and this little wafer that it is for us a means of experiencing the resurrected Lord Jesus. Convict us of sin. Please give us your gifts. Any gift you want to give. Help us remember that this is your church and not ours, so blow up our strategies and our best thinking and do whatever you want, whenever you want. Lead us however you want and wherever you want. Lord Jesus, we, we love you and we honor you. Thank you for the gift of your spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of holiness that reminds us that we are your children. And Father, I pray for anyone in the room today who doesn't have the assurance that they are your children. They put their trust in the Lord Jesus and that you'd be pleased, Father, to send the spirit and give them that inner witness that they are part of your family, adopted, co-heirs with Christ, named children of God. Lord Jesus, we honor you and we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.